the Wrong Book Pod. I'm your host, Anna Koki. This week, I'm joined today by Corey Alexander. Corey Alexander is a writer, reviewer, and just around awesome person on Twitter. And I've asked them today to come and talk to me about neurodivergent rap. Uh, welcome, Corey. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Corey, you're autistic. And so I really yeah. respect the work you do on Twitter, sometimes educating us about rap. I know that that can be also quite a lot of stress. And I would say, frankly, sometimes frustrating. But I want to first start off by saying thank you <laughs> for doing that work. Let's talk oh, about, thanks. yeah, um, let's talk about neurodivergent rap in romance. Before we get started, what do we mean by neurodivergent rap? What does that mean for you? So... I mean, when I see neurodivergent, um, I think of the neurodiversity m- movement um, as a concept that's about connecting people whose brains work a little bit differently in lots of different ways. So it's about connecting folks who are autistic um, with folks who have ADHD and learning disabilities and with folks who Um, are dealing with mental illness of all different sorts. It's about saying that we're all kind of in, we're in some kind of connection together um, in that our brains work a little bit differently. And so that's, that when I think of neurodivergent representation, I'm, it's like really wide and vast. Um, And and so it was, it was a little, it was a lot to be like, okay, I need to come up with a very, a, a, a few racks for neurodivergent when it's like, uh, when it's a really big idea for me. Yeah, to be fair, uh, audience, I said, oh, five or six, <laughs> which I realized yeah. is a really big ask. So thank you. <laughs> and of course, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm someone you talk like, about, feel free. <laughs> You know, like my lists on my blog sometimes get to be like 50 <laughs> books. So I'm also someone who, who goes for more rather than less. So you get me down to five or six, and that's amazing. <laughs> well, I, I really respect that. Uh, I'll be very interested to see everything that you recommend us for us today. Yeah, I really love your that definition of that wider connection, because I think it sometimes can be very narrowly discussed. And I think it leaves a lot of room for people to find themselves and to sort of recognize the, the, the ways that they might not fit a particular mold, right? And which can be sometimes harder to see in romance. Yeah. Yeah, now, I can definitely see that. No, I mean, I think, I think you're, you're right in that, that sometimes people really do discuss it narrowly or use it kind of as a code for autistic in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of saying autistic, they'll say neurodivergent, but what they really mean is autistic. Um, <laughs> yes. and, and so, and I, I think it's a, it's partly a way of trying to get away from language that, that maybe folks are a little uncomfortable with, you know, like the same way that folks will sometimes use words like handy capable instead of, um, disabled. Or they'll uh, say and so it, like, instead of saying black. Yes. Or right. Because we're sort of more comfortable with that generalization rather than just naming something that almost feels like, oh, we're labeling. Right. Yeah. And I think in particular with um, any kind of disability, there's a real there's a there's a real fraught 
kind of thing about whether you talk about people with disabilities or disabled people, you talk about autistic people or people with autism, that like person first language is something that some people are really invested in and then some people are really invested in identity first language and mm-hmm. and there can be a lot of headbutting around it. Like I think and partly that's about about being uncomfortable with the with the label is that some people are like it's we have to make sure that everyone knows we think you're a person <laughs> um and so <laughs> and so we want to say people with disabilities <laughs> we want to say right. people with autism and then there are a lot of autistic people who are like no i'm an autistic person right. i really care about naming this as my identity yeah yeah and i feel like honestly a lot of times there is what so like that unnamed and stealth rep in romance where uh, something yeah. will, you know, like they have sensory issues, but we don't talk about them directly or that person's really right. awkward. But are they awkward or are they autistic? And we're just not talking about it, which I yes. have to say probably uh, feels really uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a range of what you're talking about. There's a lot of things that are unnamed. And I think that there is different ways that they're unnamed like mm-hmm. um there's things that feel like where it's like we're, we're using a code where we're and i often talk about coded autistic rep where it's right. like really about someone being we're, we're using these like signals to say we're gonna we're gonna point this person as autistic and then we're gonna usually do that in a way that's really about promoting us various different kinds of stereotypes about autism Mm -hmm. and and then there's like the kind of thing where it's like folks are maybe afraid to use the direct language and so they kind of skirt around it and they're a little uncomfortable and it's not clear whether it's because the deniability maybe yeah is like nervous about it but I think it's also that there are a lot of folks who don't get diagnosed, mm-hmm. right? And I don't have access to diagnosis of all different kinds of things like ADHD and autism and mental illness. And there are ways that particular communities, especially marginalized communities, really, you know, a lot of folks might not actually be thinking of themselves as autistic or as having ADHD because they haven't had access to that kind of information about themselves. Right. And I don't like, so like, I don't, I don't want to say like never naming it on the page is wrong, is always wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think mm-hmm. sometimes it can be really reflective of the reality of what's, of what's going on in the world right now, which is that a, a lot of folks of color, for example, a lot of um, folks who are assigned female at birth are often really not getting diagnosed as autistic and as having ADHD in particular um, mm-hmm. in childhood, they just don't, they don't have access to that because of stereotypes. Right, so their relationship to that label will be very different. Absolutely. And so when I interviewed Talia Hibbert about her, uh, the autistic rep that she had written in her series uh, set in a small town, um, there's a couple, there's a family. So one book is a girl I think it's called A Girl Like Her, and that has a character, Ruth, who is named on the page autistic. Mm -hmm. And then her sister, Hannah, has another book 
And she isn't named on the page as autistic because how she presents, she wouldn't have gotten diagnosed. Right. Right? Right, right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that she's not autistic. Right. Was, you know, when I asked Holly about it, she's like, yeah, no, she would be autistic. And their mom, too. Yes, their mom would also be autistic. But only Ruth would have been diagnosed. And so that's right. how she worked it out on the page. Yeah. Well, and we see that too sometimes with like books where they're set in a historical time period where there wasn't that definition, but they were, they're, they're yeah. clearly exhibiting certain behaviors that we recognize as autistic and yes, people. Yes, absolutely. There's a great, yeah. Okay, I do feel like it's possible to represent autistic characters in a way that where maybe you don't name it on the page, but it doesn't have to be kind of deflected onto this other thing that also, that is mm -hmm. demonized, right? That you right. can have other kinds of, you know, and these aren't ones that I was going to name, um, <laughs> but, you know, since we're talking about this, like yeah. an unseen attraction by KJ Charles is a really good example. You right. have Clem right. who is, who is both dyspraxic and also I would say he was autistic you know, the author is named dyspraxia in particular, but I read his, a lot of what he was experiencing is also him being autistic. Mm -hmm. um, and it definitely felt like, like that, that was held in a way where he was, yes, he was experiencing ableism, but he wasn't, uh, it didn't have the same kind of intensity around self-loathing that Right. He, he received an awful lot of abuse from family members, but yes. he himself sort of loved himself and accepted yes. himself. And it was mostly getting safe and being around people that also accepted him uh, and cared for him in that way. Yeah. Oh, I think, so yeah. Thank you for bringing that one up. I think that's a, that's a very interesting contrast to take into presenting uh, neurodivergence and uh, without it being... Uh, harmful in an intersecting way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it, sometimes I think it makes sense to not name it on the page. But I think with contemporary, often it does make sense to name it. And I wish more authors did. Well, uh, but there's also sometimes like cultural uh, differences in how people name things, right? Um, yeah where there's quite a lot of difference of how things are diagnosed here in the United States versus in Europe. And uh, yeah. we're, we're, you know, I, I recently read Whiteout and I struggled reading oh. it. That's by Adriana Anders because I was like, at first I'm yeah. like, they're not naming it. They're just naming the sensory issue. And there's, there's a little bit of uh, magic vagina uh, action happening, but oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was sort of like, what's going on here? Why, why is this character not being named as autistic when they're showing all these elements of autism? And then I, I found out, you know, that it's sort of based on a parent experience of a child that's not qualified, not diagnosed as autistic, but experiences these sensory issues. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I, that sort of spoke to me of the, the, the wide divergence of experience with the labels and sure made me sort of, sort of like pause or like, okay, I'm not going to judge it necessarily because it's not naming, but maybe because there is magic vagina. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't read that one yet, but it's on my list. And I think you mentioned it. I, I think you might have mentioned it to me. Somebody yeah. was asking me specifically about the autism representation. Right, because I, I asked if there was uh, own voices rap uh, reviews out yeah. and somebody tagged you in it. And I was like, I wasn't going to make Corey do work. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, um, it's on, you know, actually, I have it now. I, ha- I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, it's hard to read these days. The, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, my focus is just a little, it's a little more difficult to focus on, on reading. And all um, listeners who are in, in listening. this particular historical about, moment. Wanting to, to listen about books because you can't read them, we get you. We are talking about books because we can't read them. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yes. So yeah. let's talk about some of your favorite books with neurodivergent rap. You sure. Okay. Start with whichever one you want to talk about and we'll go from there. Okay. So um, we've been talking a lot about autistic rap. So I'm going to name one of my most favorite um, books with autistic rap. And that's called, it's, it's a, novelette it's whip stir and serve by caitlin frost and henry drake and it's a short contemporary kinky meet cute romance mm-hmm. um there's an autistic main character who also has anxiety and who sort of has this ongoing conversation with the person behind the meat counter at the supermarket but the, there's a lot of hit and miss because she's not understanding that he's flirting with her. Okay. Um, and then there's a bunch of stuff that happens that makes it makes you know creates this opportunity for the meet cute to actually really kind of come together um, for them. And you know a lot and a lot of it's about her having a meltdown in the supermarket. Okay. Um, and I really loved the the way that that was depicted because it wasn't like it wasn't like he you know was perfect and knew exactly what to do and was you know like he was a little thrown he did the best he could and she was you know and she also was doing the best she could and managing and and it felt really real because yeah sometimes you have a meltdown in the supermarket <laughs> like that's life. <laughs> Right. And the, you know, and the idea that like they could connect and that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a thing that would deter the meat cute that it could right. be, you know, it could just be part of it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that and that it it's not because he, you know, is is magic and, mm-hmm. you know, is an autism whisperer and knows exactly what to do or whatever. But, you know, he knows a little bit about anxiety. And so he's he's helping, you know, he he has some knowledge and he, you know, is also just really respectful of her. And this is a own voices novelette. And it's and it's very hot. It's got a lot of lovely BDSM in it. And Mm -hmm. um, and it was written by two autistic authors and. And it just feels like this level of real that um, I don't see a lot in autism rep in in romance. So it it makes me really happy that it exists. Yeah, and I would say you know it, it, the the disaster meet cute is a thing. 
and for it to incorporate yes. the fact that it's something that this is a fact of life. People have meltdowns and this one will not yeah. be the last meltdown that they have together. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice element. I think of, you know, like for me, uh, happily ever after doesn't mean your problems are solved and things are never going to be difficult, but that you face things that happen because they happen with you together. Right. And so yeah. I, yeah, I, I can see the real, the appeal of that kind of me cute. That's a, that's a little bit of a meat disaster that doesn't go badly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just all this really cute stuff about how she's like really freaking out because she really feels like she needs to make cinnamon rolls and she doesn't know how. <laughs> and he helps her and they try to make cinnamon rolls. But, you know, and they never quite actually succeed in making the cinnamon rolls, but it doesn't matter. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that actually ties in with some of the rest of the the themes for this month. Uh, a lot of people are going to be talking about cinnamon roll characters. So now you know <laughs> what characters making cinnamon rolls. Maybe this is the book for you. There <laughs> you go. He really is a, kind of a cinnamon roll dom as far as that goes. He's very <laughs> sweet, too. So, yeah. <laughs> I got to say, that's not a combination I hear about often, but that's great. Yeah, I wish there were more of those, I, I got to say. <laughs> That's my personal taste. Yeah. yeah, there's way too much of the asshole <laughs> Dom out there. Um, yeah, I'm less interested in that. I like the, I like the cinnamon roll doms better. Yeah. Let's yeah. make that a thing. Come on, folks. Write us yes. cinnamon roll doms. Oh, great. Yeah. So, now, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, another book that you have on your list that I really love is A Doom mm-hmm. by Default by, uh, by Alyssa Cole. Yeah, uh, I was so happy to see that one on your list because I love Portia's story of self-discovery with ADHD, especially my second child has ADHD and was diagnosed very young. But one of the funny yeah. things about having ADHD as a kid is that sometimes you forget you have it and because they haven't always been on medication and all that kind of stuff. So throughout their life, they occasionally go and say, hey did you know that I have a lot of things that are ADHD-like? And we're like, yes, that's why you took medication in second grade. This, but uh, So one of the things that really helped my, my child was these videos on YouTube, the Living with the ADHD yeah. YouTuber. And so I really connected to Portia sort of seeing themselves because I had just seen my child go through that same, oh, like, oh, my God, I'm not the only person who thinks this way. Yeah. Yeah, I really love the the way that, you know, like Portia really comes into her own in this book. And it's a slow process. It's not like it felt really real to me that mm-hmm. like she, you know, especially because she wasn't diagnosed and her family was so judgmental mm-hmm. about a lot of the the qualities that she has that are um, associated with her ADHD, a lot of her habits and experiences, and and there was so much familial judgment that she just took in as, like, Mm -hmm. this is who I am. Um, And really unpacking all of that in the midst of figuring out what was going on, it just, it it really resonated for me as, uh, you know, as someone else who has, who has done, has gone through similar process in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways around neurodivergence. Like it's not, you know, this, it's a, 
it feels like almost like a neurodivergent coming out story mm-hmm. in that way. Like it's about, mm-hmm. you know, like her recognizing this is part of her life and and learning about it and um, and really coming to accept it about herself. And and that that's really so instrumental in her being able to accept that that she can love and and be loved and that and that's that's a big part of how it's possible for her to be open to this relationship right because she gets to claim Uh, herself and that way she feels like she doesn't have to she doesn't deserve the the uh judgment of her family that she is somebody worth loving and being uh that she isn't this disaster that she just doesn't that takes up space which is part of the stuff that she has to sort of deprogram from herself right yeah 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 it's and it felt really beautiful to me to see you know to see her kind of come to a place where she was claiming kind of who she was Mm -hmm. and and I just you know like I mean, the, the watching the videos thing totally resonated for me, too, because when I was first recognizing that I was autistic, I w- there's a series of videos called Ask an Autistic, where they explain mm-hmm. different traits of autism, um, and that I watched and would and had all these feelings. and Yeah, so I definitely <laughs> had that kind of experience, too. Um, and it, it feels like, you know, this is such a, an important thing to have um and you know in terms of ADHD representation um and for it to be such a you know it's a traditionally published book it's got such a wide reach I just love that Mm -hmm, mm-hmm absolutely Another ADHD rep that I really enjoy is Nessa and Beyond Surrender, um, Kiroka's books. Oh, yes. Yes. I love Nessa. Oh, she's great. I think because there's so much joy around her and her many, Mm -hmm. the the way she flits from craft to craft, her hyper focus, um, that there's there's just a lot of celebration of the – the aspects of her brain that work that way. Um, yeah. Because, because her, like for her, you know, making the whiskey is something that's always captured her attention as part of her focus. Um, and that can be celebrated. And the fact that she just enjoys process and learning things can be celebrated. Um, and I mean, yeah, yeah. she does also uh, sexually have to sort of try to get out of her brain a little bit and that she's always, you know, you know, in that, uh, that there's that come that conversation as part of their sexual discovery mm-hmm. of like, this is what I need, you know, um, this is what I struggle with. Yeah, yeah, I really liked that. Um, and that it was incorporated into the way they talked about sex. It felt mm-hmm. really important to me that that was part of what was going on. I feel like I feel like sometimes when folks are writing neurodivergent rep, they often leave that piece of it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And the sex looks like it would look like with any neurotypical person. Mm -hmm. And there's no, and there's not a lot of like understanding that actually, no, it it impacts, you know, this is like part of who you are and it Mm -hmm. kind of impacts everything. 
right? And so I really appreciated that in in that book. And also there's a book called Connection Error by Annabeth Albert that mm-hmm. has a, a main character who has ADHD who also where they they do this thing where they where they kind of turn it into almost a game where they keep changing position mm. so that he he stays focused. Right. And I really liked that as well. Great. Now you mentioned a little bit about Tally Hibbert before. You had uh, the book Untouchable mm. on your list. Yes. Yes. Tell me about what you loved. Okay, so I really love the depression representation in this book so much. <laughs> The depression is named on the page, and both the hero and the heroine are experiencing depression. And the hero is not sure whether it's situational or kind of ongoing. He's still kind of trying to sort that out throughout the book. But the heroine has had depression her whole life. And it felt so resonant to me because her depression is has a lot of anger in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that often doesn't get shown in in the mm-hmm. way that depression is represented in stories. And I really loved that she was so angry and that it was part of how it manifested for her. And I really also loved the way they connected around their depression and bonded and create this intimacy together around this shared experience. Um, I also... I really appreciated that the autistic rep was very present, but also wasn't named and um, and for really deliberate reasons by the the author chose to not name it, but to really show that Hannah was also autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt it felt good to me to have that kind of representation out there where it's not named as well as. Um, especially because there's also the book with her sister where it is. Right, right. To so show that it, contrast. Right, the, 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 that not everybody will be diagnosed and not everybody recognizes that in themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and she, you know, Hannah doesn't really think about herself as autistic. She really, she thinks about herself as really different from Ruth in a lot of ways and as someone who needs to take care of Ruth and... And and she really focuses on her depression, but the autism is definitely there. Right. right. And it's part of how she nav how how she navigates social situations, how she struggles with things. It's part of her her experience of the world. Yeah. Cool. I really appreciated that, and you know, it's I mean, it's own voices, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know that really makes a difference in how real things feel a lot of the time for me. Is that it, you know, is, is that it's coming from that place. Right. Now, another book that has that sort of own voices, uh, depression uh, mm-hmm. representation would be Hate to Watch You. You were mentioning yes. it on your list by Alicia Rye, who I love. I love that whole series. And I really yes. love how mental health uh, rep was just wrapped up in each book that it was sort of an ever-present theme in the series. Everybody is dealing with some sort of grief or depression or anxiety, and the ever-presentness of it actually sort of, it's affirming because a lot of, like sometimes you have people who are like, well, in my day, people didn't get depressed. Of course they did. We just didn't Mm -hmm. call it that. Yeah, I really appreciated 
the intergenerational nature of it too, right? Like in mm-hmm. in this the mother, book, like it's yeah. the mother, yes. And the way that the mother like would never call it depression, wouldn't you know, like and but that it's part of her experience as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I mean, what I love about the I love that it's named on the page. I love that the kind of difficulty with suicidal ideation is named on the page and it's part of the story. And I really love the way that she copes with it on the page. Like you see her have these strategies and to navigate what's going on as some that she kind of came up with herself and some that she worked out in therapy and this, this way that she's really like it's I well, and I like that there was a process, right? Because, yeah. you know, the reason everything fell apart early on is because she didn't have those support systems. And yes. that it, there's came a lot of self-discovery and process behind it. And so it's it also feels hopeful in a way of like, you can live with this. This is who you're, this is your life, rather than a, it has to be like resolved because you're together now. Yes. Like, I feel like, it's totally where I was going to go too. like, I think sometimes with mental illness representation and in romance, what you have is like a character who needs to be cured because otherwise we won't know what to do (laughs) with Uh like, we can't imagine what, how she can have a happy ending otherwise or whatever. So there needs to be like a cure that happens either with sort of like a miracle therapy where you go to therapy for a couple of weeks and then you're fine thing that sometimes happens which is very uh-huh, strange uh-huh. um or or sometimes it's you know cured by love or sex or some combination and so there's this way that that this imagines a different kind of happy ending a different kind of future uh-huh. that doesn't you know that includes an ongoing experience of mental illness and that isn't kind of you know that where you don't doubt that the happy ending because she's mentally ill, she has it and she's mentally ill. And that's part of the deal. Right. There's not this, sometimes we see that counter example, like it would in, in, in another book, okay, her mom deals with mental illness and doesn't acknowledge it. Thus she's cursed, right? Right. To always live unhappily, but she's going to deal with it. So it's going to be fine. And it was like, no, both of them, deal with depression both of them have heavily affected into their life and that's not the deciding factor on whether they find a happily ever after and spoiler alert for the rest of the series the mom has reaches a a place of good stuff too so i love the mom's happy ending so much i know (laughs) she's like i'm gonna cut you if you come near us (laughs) oh my god it makes me so happy yes Yeah. yeah and and I really liked that, you know, you have this heroine who's really grappling really openly with depression and it's acknowledged and she's had therapy and she has these coping strategies. And then you have this hero where it's all underground and he doesn't even really acknowledge that he's experienced trauma, even though he very clearly has. And <laughs> that uh-huh. he's in this, you know, that he's got this abusive family, that he's been grappling with the abuse from his family for, you know, for his entire life and that and that it's part of his story is this trauma around it and and so they're in different they're in really different places and you get to see her process and his process Mm -hmm. and and the ways that they can 
support each other and the ways they set each other off, you know, because both <laughs> happens when yeah. you're in relationship and mentally ill and you're in a relationship with someone else is mentally ill is that, you know, you, you deal with both. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I really liked that he got to have his own kind of arc where he recognized, where he got to recognize that he was impacted in this yeah. way yeah. and it was really shaping his life in a way that he didn't want it to mm-hmm. uh, that you know and that he needed to do something about that that felt really important too yeah yeah it felt like a really deep and complex exploration of mental illness and neurodivergency in the on the page like it really felt really full and rich. yeah and i mean and just uh, because it also so i mean that whole series dealing with the the ways culture affects how what you can acknowledge and not acknowledge. Um, yes. Um, I think that's also something that's rarely seen because sometimes it's seen like you have already have an issue. You're Latino or you're Asian, so you don't get to have something else, you know, especially in right. traditionally published books. So I really love that th- they were they were allowed to have like a fullness of experience, and yes. uh, and it wasn't like everybody was like cool with people going to having therapy no it's just it, that's no. it causes friction in families it does yeah yeah I love the different like the different kinds of things you know like you have one character and you know in the second book you've got a character who has medication and you've got a character who was never diagnosed with autism but very clearly is autistic uh-huh. and you know and it's shaped his entire life and in the third book you've got a character who's got trauma and who hasn't really kind of acknowledged the way that trauma has shaped her life. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just all these different ways that this is, you know, this plays out in this series. And, and it just gets to hold the, like, fullness of, of the diversity of these kinds of experiences. And then especially, like, if we talk about Jackson in the second book, yeah. even though um, he's not ever been diagnosed... And mm-hmm. he has been able to craft a very successful life for himself. Yes. Uh, and that, you know, it, that hasn't held him back that because he hasn't, that he didn't have a diagnosis. There's been ways that he's been able to sort of hack the world to work for himself. And so I, so I thought that was interesting, too, that it wasn't like, oh, you know, you have to have a diagnosis in order to succeed in a world. No, you can have a very successful life and career and still deal with these sensory stuff, yeah. even without naming them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part of the, yeah, that he, you know, and that he also had, you know, that he had this vulnerability that really impacted, like, his experience of being in jail and his experience of of trying to manage this career and, that he was incredibly successful and that he, you know, and that he has this really, you know, this capacity for really beautiful love, mm-hmm. you know, and, that you and he has a strong circle of friends, of right? Because he has all this, you know, he has these loyal people that protect him and go surround him at work. They also express shows. Yes can build friendships he can build community and whatever Uh, and he didn't need to be like in a relationship with Saudi in order to accomplish that that's something different yeah yeah I need to see him really work on his relationship with his family in the book too it's lovely 
like he's you know he cares just as much about trying to figure out how to manage his relationship with his family mm-hmm. yeah i really i really appreciate that entire series and the way that it approaches these things and and the complexity with which it really approaches them it it makes me really happy that it's out in the world i don't buy many books on paper but that's one series has made it onto my shelf because yeah. I wanted the signed copies from the Rip Bodice from Alicia. So would you like to talk about some of the other books that you have on your list? I know you have Invitation to the Blues by Rowan Parrish on your list. That's one of our, uh, it's a favorite of Ron Book Pod. Yes. Uh, Melinda is a big fan. Yeah. So Invitation to the Blues is probably the most kind of angsty of the books that I you know, kind of, I, I tried to recommend a, a range, right? I did, you know, like I put in books where the character's neurodivergency was really central and complex and, 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 you know, and a rich kind of experience like the one we were just talking about. And then I also included ones where it's a little um, less central to the story. Um, so like, learning curves it's really mostly incidental representation this is another own voices story where the character we've got one character with anxiety and another character who who has adhd and it's a ff new adult romance um novella set in college and it's this lovely kind of meet cute and then they become friends and then they date kind of a christmas oriented romance and and it's really incidental. You don't hear much about the character's anxiety. There's a few moments where it kind of pops up. Um, this similarly, you don't hear much about the character's ADHD, but it's kind of in the background and a little bit, you know, it's here and there. And, you know, I wanted to include that kind of representation because I think sometimes we just want a story that's like about people like us mm-hmm. where it's not about that part of us mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like, oh I um, totally get and, you yep <laughs> yeah. and so so like and you know and I usually call that incidental rep where it's mm-hmm. like well yeah she happens to have ADHD <laughs> it's just right. you know it's part of the part of the thing and you know like and then there are stories like a duke by default where it's really central like her ADHD is is a huge part of her personal arc or the, you know, the main character, both of the main characters in Hate to Want You, where their mental illness is a huge mm-hmm. part of their art. In Invitation of the Blues, I wanted to talk about those kinds of books where you've got a character who's really in crisis because of the mental illness or the neurodivergency, where that's really a big part of the story, is that, you know, Jude the main character in Invitation of the Blues, and this is a, a full-length novel that has one point of view, and it's just, so it's just from his point of view. It, he's, um, he's had depression his whole life. He's newly released from a long-term stay in a hospital after a suicide attempt, and he's also dealing with post-traumatic stress from an abusive relationship, and that's somewhat less acknowledged, but it's it's very present in the story. Mm-hmm. And and it feels like there are, you know, I, I think there are a lot of stories about 
um, characters who are mentally ill where they are in crisis or are just emerging from crisis, where what happens is they get rescued by the other character right. in the romance, right? Um, and this is really not that story. <laughs> this is a character who finds, who struggles to find his feet on his own. And he does absolutely struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's beautifully rendered, his experience. I also read him as autistic um, because of all the sensory aspects of, of what was going on with him. He has very restrictive, he, a lot of sensory things mm-hmm. happening for him where he really he really struggles to eat almost altogether because most food feels wrong. Right. And right. so for me, that feels like a very, a potentially a very autistic experience of mm-hmm. struggling with food. And so it felt like, a, it felt like that might be part of what was going on for him too. And he's really struggling to find his feet and the people around him and his family are struggling to see him as a human being who might be able to be okay on his own. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, n- not in a great place and doesn't really know what he's going to do with his future and and is really working to imagine what that future could be and and it felt really resonant to me the the dis, the the way it was described and it was i mean it it's it's a very emotionally intense book to read it's probably the most of the ones that I recommended and it and it really feels like he meets someone who is able to let him be where he is mm-hmm. and to just kind of meet him where he's at and not try to save him and not try to change him and not be freaked out about where he is when somebody's allowed to just find a partner that wants to stand beside them rather than rescue them or save them yeah and I mean, like, that's not a knock against people who want to be rescued or have the Cinderella story, but that's, but it, that can be very powerful when somebody is acknowledged of like, you can live with your mental illness and figure your way out, and I'm gonna be right by w- with you uh, without solving it for you. Yeah, and what I one of the things I really love is that you know it's it's kind of right near the end where you kind of see Jude for the first time being like, hey. I want to be able to support you too. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, like you're here sitting with me and being witnessing, you know, what, and, and being here with me. And I want to be able to do that for you too. Let's figure out how we can do that too. Right. I mean, that's huge too, right? Because it's, some you're acknowledging that they can give something that they're not just somebody who's taking in a relationship, but that they are full equal partners and that people yeah. with mental illnesses can be, giving partners and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I love that moment in it. It, it made me really happy that that was there. You know, it was one of those th- with the, with the autism piece of it, it didn't feel like it was wrong that it wasn't named on the page. It just felt like, well, he's got all these complex things going on. I, it would surprise me if they did figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that, that part worked out for me. As an autistic reader. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Book Pod, Inclusively Yours, a weekly podcast celebrating inclusive romance one trope at a time. If you like weekly recommendations on inclusive romance, please take a moment to subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at rombookpod. That's R-O-M-B-K-P-O-D. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, happy reading.